today we are, we're going to start a new series that we're titling, How to Make a Bad Decision. And I would, I would guess that most of us have experience with making bad decisions. I know that I've made plenty of my own, and recently I made a decision that could have had some really serious consequences. And what happened was, uh, we have this air mattress in our uh, house that we use when family comes and stays. It's one of those, it's like a queen with a pillow top, but it's an air mattress, I don't get it. But it takes a long time to deflate. So some family had come and they had stayed and they had left, and so I was deflating it and the kids were playing on it. I have a daughter who's almost five and a son that's three, and they were playing on it and jumping on this air mattress and they would take turns, one would be on it and the other one would run across the room and land on it and bounce the other one off. And they were laughing and screaming and playing and having a ton of fun. And I'm watching this, waiting for this air to go out of the mattress. And I started thinking, that looks like a lot of fun. So without even kind of thinking through what might happen, I just did a belly flop right on the middle of the mattress. And what happened next, it was slow motion. I mean, it was like straight out of a movie, like time slowed down. Because I did not think about how much more I weigh than my daughter. And so she's sitting on one end of the mattress, and then all my weight comes on this mattress, and she just, boom, launches up in the air. And I remember laying there, and it was just like, I was, it was slow motion, and arms and legs are flailing in the air. And it was like, it would have been really funny if we were at the lake, and you know, it was the blob, and you launched her out into the water, but this was our bedroom, so it's like the hard floor. And all I could think was, my kid is headed for the hospital because of me. Now, thankfully, she walked it off. She was fine. She toughed it out. There were some tears, but she was good. That was a really bad decision. That was a terrible moment as a parent, that thought going through your mind. But the thing is, there aren't just small bad decisions that we make. There are also really big ones. Some decisions that you and I can make have life-altering implications. Some of the decisions that we make it might seem like we got away with it and seem like there's no consequences, only to discover that the consequences, you know, it seemed benign at the beginning, but the consequences were just laying dormant, waiting to bring pain and regret into our life. And the reality is, is nobody sets out to make a bad decision. Nobody says, I want to make the worst decision that I could make. Nobody sets out to do that. I mean, we all, we all want to do the right things. We all want to do the right things for ourselves. We want to do the right things for the people that we love. I don't want to be the dad that makes a really terrible decision that ends up with his daughter going to the hospital. I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, when we think about our future, we want to, we want to make decisions that will result in a future that we look back on and we're like, man, we're really glad we made those decisions. A future that's full of blessing and full of joy. So the question is, why don't we make better decisions? And there's lots of reasons that we don't make better decisions, but one of the reasons that we make bad decisions and then often we continue to make bad decisions is we really don't know what a bad decision looks like on the front end. And if we did know what that decision looked like on the front end, then we wouldn't make it because we would say, ah, this is a decision that I'm going to regret for the rest of my life. We would, we would avoid it. We wouldn't make it. So what we're going to do in this series, we're going to look at five bad decisions that we're told about in the Bible and then as we learn these kind of the five principles for how to make a bad decision, then you and I will start to learn, oh, okay, so this is what a bad decision looks like. So then now we can start to make better decisions. So that's where we're headed in this series, and that's what we're going to focus on. Today, we're going to start with our first bad decision, which was made by an individual named Esau. Now, a little backstory on Esau, the guy who made the decision we're going to look at today. Esau's grandfather was named Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Israelites, father of the Jewish nation. Then Abraham has a son named Isaac, so it goes Abraham, Isaac. 
And then Isaac has twin boys. Esau was the firstborn, and then just seconds after Esau was born, Jacob was born. He has these twin sons. And it was significant that Esau was the firstborn because Esau was entitled to something referred to as the birthright. And what the birthright was, was it was kind of a double inheritance. So when the parents would pass away, instead of all the, all the land, all the possessions, all the money, instead of that di- being divided equally between the siblings, the firstborn would get twice as much as everybody else. So this was a pretty good deal. But it, w- it wasn't just that they would get all this money and all these possessions. They also got the position of being the leader of the family. So all the perks, all the privileges that go with leadership, all the advantages of that went to the firstborn. If you read through the story, you realize that Abraham and Isaac, they did pretty well in life. So that meant that Esau, being the firstborn, he had a lot coming his way, not just in terms of possessions, but also in terms of the privileges and the perks that went along with those possessions. So this birthright, this was a really big deal. He had a lot to look forward to in his future. But let's see what he does with this birthright. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 25. It's the passage we're going to focus on today. It says this, starting in verse 29, Genesis 25. It says, Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he is also called Edom. Now, real quick, Edom, it translates to mean red. So what this is saying is Esau, he got a, a nickname. He saw the red stew He gets a nickname, the nickname of Edom, that not only lasted with him for the rest of his life, but then as you read through the Bible, you'll see these people referred to as the Edomites. So all of Esau's descendants are, they retain the name, this nickname he's given because of this horrible, terrible, no good decision that he makes. I mean, you know it's a terrible decision when your great, great, great grandkids are still referred to by the decision that you made. This is a horrible decision that he makes. This is what it says, verse 31. Jacob replied, so he says, hey, quick, let me have some of that red stew. Jacob replied, typical second-born, typical younger brother. First, sell me your birthright. I mean, quick on his feet, he's like, oh, what can I get out of this? First, sell me your birthright. Then Esau says, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, he's savvy. He says, swear to me first. He wants assurances. Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some of the bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank then got up and left, so Esau despised his birthright. This is crazy. I mean, the guy, he forfeits what's rightfully his. All the money, all the land, all the livestock, he, he gives it all up. All the privileges that came with being the leader and how that would have affected not only his life, but all the people that come after him. He gives it all up for a bowl of what? Lentil stew. I've never had lentil stew, but I can tell you, that is a terrible exchange. So the question is, why did Esau, why did he make such a bad decision? Well, the reason is Esau was only considering the short term. And it turns out, and this is the, this is the first principle of the five we're going to look at. If you want to make a bad decision, think short term. If you want to make a bad decision, think short term. That's what we're going to look at today. That's what we're going to focus on. In this story, actually, there's two elements of Esau's short-term thinking that are revealed in what he says. And the two things that he says that point to his short-term thinking, they're actually often the same reason that we make short-term thinking decisions. So we're going to look at these today, see what we can learn from them. The first thing he says, check this out, verse 30, this is what he says. He says, quick, he comes in from the wilderness, he says, quick, 
let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. So if you just think about it, he's tired, he's hungry. I mean, just imagine you're on a long backpacking trip. Maybe you're up in the Sierra Nevadas. You run short on food. You've been walking for miles. You're not sleeping very good. And you come back, and you're just you're super hungry, and you see something that will satisfy that desire. He sees something that will, will fill him up, that will restore his strength. And when he sees that thing, he just goes blind to everything else, and that desire just takes over. Esau was thinking short-term because he let his desires rule. That's the first part of short-term thinking. We think short-term when we let our desires rule. Esau was thinking short-term. He gave up his birthright because he let the desires take control. Now, question is, why would letting desires lead to short-term thinking? Why would, why would, if you let your desires rule, why would that result in short-term thinking? Well, let me ask another question. When do your desires want to be satisfied? They want to be satisfied right now. Actually, right now might not be soon enough. They probably wanted to be satisfied five minutes ago, and that means right now it's even more urgent that they get satisfied. My wife and I, we have a one-year-old daughter at home, Ivy, and we see this show up in her quite frequently. I mean, she's so cute, and you know, she's so fun, and she's easily our cuddliest kid. But when she's hungry, I mean, does she just kind of step back and say, you know what, I know that mom and dad are going to take care of me. I can wait another hour, you know, with this hunger. You know, I could wait two hours to eat. No, when she's hungry, she lets us know about it. And there's something about this little girl. She has got some lungs. I mean, she has this, like, high-pitched scream. Some of our neighbors, like, went all out for Halloween, and so they have those things when you walk by them. They're, like, motion detective, and it, like, screams at you when you walk by. Ivy can sound like that sometimes. When she's hungry, she's just got this high-pitched shrill just... She just lets it go, and she wants to eat. She's not sitting there thinking, you know what? You know, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. I already ate twice today. I ate pretty good. You know, I even left some food on the table. You know, next time I'm supposed to eat is at noon. You know, I could, I could wait an hour. I could, I could find something productive to do. I could give mom and dad a break, because at noon, I know that they're going to feed me. For, for the last year, they've made sure I've had every meal. Is she thinking that? No. She has a desire and she wants it satisfied right now. And what's interesting is for us as adults, you know, we might not scream at the top of our lungs, but we all have desires, and we're all prone to let those desires kind of take control and rule. I mean, we all have the desire to feel good. Everybody wants to feel good. Nobody wants to feel bad. Nobody enjoys that. Everybody wants to feel good. Everybody wants to be happy. You know, when it comes to being happy, we've been told for most of our lives, and we really believe it, that being happy is the most important thing in life. So a lot of people will do almost anything to be happy. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good, and there's nothing wrong with being happy, but they're just not the most important thing. So if you let the desire to feel good now, or the desire to be happy now, if you let that take control, that can have some really serious consequences. I mean, just, just look at Esau. Look at what happens to Esau. I mean, I, I bet when he sat down and he got that soup in his hands and he started eating it, I bet he felt really good. I bet he was happy. I bet as he was eating that soup, he was thinking, oh, man, what a great deal. But what eventually was going to happen? That satisfaction and that feeling, that feeling that he was going through, that eventually was going to wear off. He was going to get hungry again. And the reality that he had just, he had just sold his birthright sold his future for momentary happiness, that eventually was going to set in. 
I mean, where did, it, where did it get him to just let the desires have control and just oh, be happy now? I mean, just look at Esau. Look at where he ended up. You know, something that's important for us to remember and be aware of is the Bible tells us that what God is doing is he is he's saving us from the consequences of sin, and then he's teaching us how to walk a new life, how to, how to walk a new path, how to live this new life that he gives us. And the Bible teaches us the only, the only way we can be saved from the consequences of our sin is because of what Jesus has done. He's the only one that can restore the relationship. We come to a point where we say, hey, I, I've made a complete mess of things. I rebelled against God, so now I bow before Jesus. I accept the forgiveness that he offers, and now he gives me new life. Now my life is about figuring out how to live that new life. And the Bible tells us that this new life we're living, it's actually preparing us for eternity with God. And this is one of the reasons that self-control now is so important. And what self-control is, is it's the ability to say yes or no to the desires that we have. It's the ability to say, okay, I've got this desire and it's really strong, but no, I'm not going to act on that desire. It's the ability to say, okay, I'm not going to act on that, but instead I'm going to choose to do this over here. And this is so important for us because just kind of understanding what it means to be a Christian and understanding our need for Jesus to forgive us reminds us that, you know what, I have some desires that lead me to choose to sin. I have some desires that they're the same desires that got this world in the mess that it's in in the first place. Those desires are inside of me. So if I just let my desires kind of run free and do whatever they want to do, it's actually counter to the whole message of you needing Jesus to forgive you for what you've done. So it is so important for us to remember that self-control is crucial when it comes to living this new life, and especially when it comes to making wise decisions. If you let your desires lead like Esau did, you're only going to consider the short term, and you're going to end up making some decisions where you'll risk your future for the desire to be happy now. But it's not just that he let his desires have control. There's another reason for the short-term thinking that we see in Esau. And it's actually revealed in the second thing that Esau says. Check this out. The second thing he says, really fascinating. So he tells his brother he wants to eat. His brother names the price. He says, give me your birthright. Then Esau says, look, I'm about to die. Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? So he, he has a desire. He wants something. He's given an offer. This is what it's going to cost you. And he just goes for it. And this is amazing. He doesn't consider his other options. He doesn't even think through it. And that's the second part of short-term thinking. You don't consider your other options. I mean, if you read through the story, what you find is Jacob was referred to as a guy who hung out among the tents. That means he didn't stray very far from home. So if Jacob was making food, the implication of the story is there were other people nearby that were probably making food or had food that they could have made for Esau. So there's no way that this was his only option. I mean, he doesn't even negotiate. He doesn't do what my parents, what my kids will do when one of them doesn't share. I mean, what do your kids do when one of them's not sharing? Mom, Dad, Cohen's not sharing with me. I mean, he doesn't even go and complain to his parents. He's just given an offer, and then he thinks, oh, well, that's the only option that I have. I might as well take it. You know, a major factor in making wise decisions is being able to see what your options are. You know, often in the moment of making a decision, it feels so urgent. It feels like if I don't do this right now, I, I mean, I'll miss out on like the best opportunity ever given to me. So I've got to make this decision right now. But wisdom is being able to step back and say, you know what? I need to get a 360 view of what's going on. I need to examine the facts. 
I need to see if there's any other options. I need to slow down. I, I don't have to make this decision right now. I can delay this a little bit and get some information. That is critical to making wise decisions. That's why it says this in Proverbs 14, verse 8. It says this, it says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. And when it talks about prudence here, the word prudent is a word that describes someone who they've got common sense and good judgment. What they do is they slow down, they consider their options. Like the verse says, they give thought to their ways. They ask questions, okay, if I do this, what will the outcome be? What about that? If I do that over there, what will the outcome be? A prudent person, their wisdom is shown in the fact that they slow down and they consider their options. But let's face it, I mean, oftentimes when we're going through life, especially if we've got a strong desire and we see something that'll satisfy that desire, we don't want to slow down. And we don't want to take the time to consider our options because let's face it, that's work and it takes time. We don't want to do it. We just want to rush ahead. And that's why the verse gives this warning. It says at the end, it says the folly of fools is deception. And the idea is a fool is someone who they think life is a lot simpler than it actually is. So what they do is they're faced with this decision and they've got these strong desires. And they say, you know what? I'm just going to act. Yeah, I don't really need to consider the outcome. Don't need to think through the consequences. Don't need to sit or, you know, see if there's any other options. I'm going to act, and I'm going to act now. And then what they do is they convince themselves, but it's going to be okay. It'll, it'll work out. It's not going to be that bad. I mean, everybody's saying that this is, this is a pretty terrible decision. Yeah, no, they, uh, it'll work out. Everything will kind of smooth its way over. There's no way this decision, it, it's, it's harmless. It can't be that bad. So the fool, what they end up doing is they end up deceiving themselves. They don't pay attention to their way. They don't, they don't think through what are their options. They just move ahead, and then they just, con- they just convince themselves that, you know what, it's going to be fine. It'll all work out. So the warning of the passage is don't deceive yourself. Slow down. Put in the time. Give thought to your ways. Consider your options. Avoid making a bad decision by thinking, what are the other options? And actually, I have a, I have a suggestion for you. We're just getting real practical. I have a suggestion for you, something for you to try, something that I learned recently, I've actually done with a few decisions that I've made, and I found it really helpful. And what it is, is it's called the 10-10-10 process. So the idea is, in the 10-10-10 process, I actually heard this from another pastor named Jim White, and there's a book written with the same title by Susie Welch. She's an author and a speaker. But the 10-10-10 process, how it works, is you think in terms of 10 minutes, 10 months, and 10 years. 10 minutes, 10 months, and 10 years. And the point of this whole process is to get you to just slow down and consider, okay, if I make this decision, what are the consequences? What are the outcomes? What about in 10 months? What about in 10 years? Just get down and to consider what's headed your way if you make this decision. So what you do is you start with a question, whatever question you're facing. Should I quit my job? Could be anything. Should I quit my job? Should I take out a second mortgage? Should I stay in this relationship or should I end it? Should I sign my kid up for that sport? Should I hold my kid back a year in school? Whatever the question is, you just start with a question, you ask the question, a should I? Should I, you fill in the blank. Whatever the question is on your mind. Then you do it, you go through these different categories and you think of it in terms of, okay, in 10 minutes, what's the immediate outcome? 10 minute question, it doesn't have to be literal 10 minutes. It's just, what is the immediate outcome? What's going to happen in the present if I make this decision? What are the consequences? 
What, what's going to happen? Then you think in terms of 10 months. 10 months is kind of the near term. Kind of, you know, and kind of, kind of in my best guess, this is what's going to happen in the near term. 10 months down the road, this is what might happen. And then really stretch yourself. 10 years, I mean, most people don't think in terms of 10 years. 10 years, that's a long way off. So think in terms of 10 years, the distant future. Really stretch yourself. In 10 years, what's something in the distant future? How am I going to view this decision? What might be the consequences if I make this? So go through the process. Ask yourself, okay, in 10 minutes, what's going to happen? In 10 months, how am I going to view this? In 10 years, what will the outcome be? And something that you want to do when you go through this process is you want to make sure and include what does God say? What does God say about this decision? And the reason you want to make sure and include what does God say is because your and my perspective is not perfect and complete. We, we can only see part of the picture, but God's perspective, he sees everything. He, he doesn't just see what can happen. He sees what will happen based on the given paths that we have to choose. So you ask the question, what does God have to say? And if you don't ask that question, if you just go through this process, the 10, 10, 10, you go through this process kind of with your best thinking, your best estimation, really what you're doing is you're just looking at part of the picture. If you go through this and you don't include, okay, this is what God has said in the Bible, well, then you're just looking at part of the picture. So you're not setting yourself up to make a wise decision. You have to include what God has said. And I'll, I'll warn you from my own experience, and because I've seen this in the lives of others, there will be times that you do this and you ask the question, okay, what does God say? What does God say will happen in the near term? What does God say will happen, you know, kind of, kind of in the mid-ground? What about, you know, the distant future? When you ask that question, and God might get real specific and he might say, okay, I want you to act in this way. I want you to choose this behavior in this situation. I want you to remove yourself from what's going on there. Okay, I want you to, to go and do this. This is a new goal that I have for you. There will be times where God speaks really clearly through his word to you and says, I want you to do this. And sometimes when God does that, from your perspective, it looks like that path has more negatives than positives. From your perspective, you look at that path and you're like, okay, I know God wants me to head in this direction, but God, I just don't see how that's the best option here. And in those situations, what you're going to have to do is you're just going to have to say, okay, you know what? I'm just going gonna, gonna to trust that what God says is going to be best is going to be best. And in 10 minutes in the immediate present, I might not see how that's the best option. And in 10 months, kind of the near term, the future that I can imagine, I still might not be able to see how that was actually the best path. But I can tell you, not only because I've experienced it in my life, but because I've seen it over and over in the lives of other people. When you say, okay, this is what God has said, so this is the direction I'm going to head in. What you can trust is that if you choose that path, over time, eventually, you'll reach a point where you'll be able to look back and say, that was the absolute best decision that I could have made. God was right. This was the best path. I didn't fully see it, but I trusted him. And now I'm at a point where I see that was the perfect decision that I could have made. So go through this process. Think in terms of, okay, 10 minutes, what's going to happen? 10 months, what's going to happen? 10 years, what's going to happen? Let's just, let's think about Esau. Let's think about Esau. What, what would have happened? He was obviously only looking at the present. He only thought about, how am I going to feel when I get that bowl of soup in my hands and I start to eat it? He only looked at the present. But what about the 10 months? I mean, would he have remembered the flavor of soup in 10 months? I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you the majority of stuff I ate 10 months ago, let alone the flavor I mean, if, let's say that he would have considered his options and he would have thought, you know what, there's probably other people nearby that I can get some food from. 
What if he would have gone and tried to get up food from another food source? Would he have remembered the additional hours of hunger in 10 months? I don't know. Probably not. What about 10 years? What if, what if he decided not to sell his birthright and he chose another path? What about in 10 years? Was he, would he have even remembered that he was faced with this decision 10 years into the future? I mean, if he did, it probably was like a family joke, like, hey, Jacob, remember that one time you tried to trick me out of my birthright? Yeah, you're not going to get me. You know, if anything, that's how he would have remembered it. It wouldn't have been this thing that was full of regret and remorse because he made this terrible decision. So for you and me, don't be Esau. Don't just think, okay, here's how I feel about it. Here's my desires. This is the only option I've got. I'm going to run ahead. Don't think short term. If you want to make wise decisions and avoid bad ones, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to say, you know what, I'm not going to let this desire control the decision. I'm going to, I'm going to choose self-control here. I'm going to step back and I'm going to consider my options. Don't think short term. Think, what does God say about this? And what is the future? How am I going to view this decision in the future? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the wisdom in your word, and I thank you for the fact that you have given us such a key role in making decisions that not only can bring blessing and joy into our lives, but also affect other people as well. So God, would you help us to choose wisely? In the moments when our desires are strong and taking over, God, would you remind us that we need to choose self-control and your path over what we think might be the best or what we want to do? And God, I pray that when we feel like it's so urgent and this is my only choice, you would help us to remember that we need to step back, consider our options, and pay attention to the direction that we're headed. God, again, I thank you for your wisdom. In your name, amen.